We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a Today's Arsenal Vision podcast is unfortunately preempted, so we can bring you this exclusive Chelsea content. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, Blackman, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, no, unfortunately, uh, we're not going to be able to talk about Arsenal today. But boy, would I five to be a Chelsea fan, huh? Huh? Nothing. No, they lost five two to Sam Allardyce's West Brom. Fantastic stuff. Fantastic stuff. And we have a Joe Willock equalizer against Spurs. So I don't even know if Arsenal played this week. I didn't even pay attention. We're just going to... No, no. I can't do it. I'm sorry. We have to talk about the Liverpool match. And um, look, I'm not going to say it went how I hoped because it didn't. Boy, was it a stinker. And I knew we were in for trouble because I was in the Discord and I was on social media and my goodness, the hubris, (laughs) the the abject hubris of Arsenal fans who really thought we were just going to turn up and smack them down despite not having Saka, despite not having Emil Smith-Rowe, despite not having David Luiz, despite not having my favorite player and yours, Granite Shaka, uh, we did not smack them down. Spoiler alert. And we're going to discuss why we got smacked down and what it means and whether we should fire people into the sun using those sun cannons that we haven't had to use in a while. So here to discuss all that with me is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woo-hoo. And Clive. You can find him on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim. You can find him on Twitter. At Stoberto. Hello, Tim. 
Hello there. <laughs> Look, guys, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, as much as the United States has been, let's just say, not the paragon of handling pandemic stuff great, we are doing pretty well with the vaccination stuff over here, which is really encouraging. So I hope everybody is feeling like they're getting through it here in the United States. I think the UK doing pretty well. I know some of our European listeners, unfortunately, maybe not quite at that level yet. So whatever state you're in with this situation, I, I hope you're holding up well. Our intention is to make a big announcement soon about a possibility to all get together and do something live. We're sort of monitoring that pandemic situation, and and should it look like there's cause for optimism uh, late this summer, and as the new season beckons, we should have something really exciting for us to do together in person, should that be something that you wish. So more on that anon. Um, Clive, I'm going to start with you. You did something on Twitter. That's usually a sentence that pre- sentences that presage uh, problems. What about, but no, what about that? What about that? <laughs> you know, there's a there's a main character on Twitter every day. Your job is not to be it. Um, what what I would say is you you posted sort of a hindsight eleven. I think it was at halftime even. Yeah. I I feel that Arteta got the lineup wrong, but in my defense, I did not necessarily not my defense and my criticism. I don't know that I felt that way at kickoff. Um, he didn't have any good choices to make. And he made bad ones, but he made bad ones with only other bad ones to make, in my view. Let's not go back and say what we thought in the moment. Let's use the benefit of hindsight because we have it now. What did he get wrong and what should he have done instead? Yeah, even my hindsight level was wrong. And that tells you <laughs> because the second half, I'd have made, a, I'd have made a, a, maybe a slightly different change. So, yeah, I think let's be honest about ourselves. Let's be honest as football fans and watchers and people who want to analyze and we value our opinions. We want to be consistent. Let's be honest about things, right? That front three that came out, not the worst thing in the world, right? It isn't the worst thing in the world. It has done well in the past. I personally don't like Aubameyang on the left-hand side. I think he was starting to get center forward and I and I feel your centre-forward is almost like a defining player. You look at every club around the league, and who's the centre-forward? Okay, he's that guy. So I think Aubameyang should be our guy, right? So, But again, the three of them, we've won things with them in the past, and it didn't worry me. Sobias worried me, I'll be honest with you. Um, I'm not, I don't think he offers stability at the baseline midfield. And Arteta, by the last time he played him, he played him as a third midfielder, stroke number 10, tells me he thinks something similar and he went away from that. Paul said something I thought was very smart on the instant reaction when he said he may have played him because he was there for the two weeks. He watched him in training, saw him doing well, and thought, I'm going to give you a go. Within 10 minutes, you're thinking, this isn't working. But you know what I mean? But just to explain why he came to that decision. And apart from that, injuries, and they dictated the rest. And um, if anything, what this really told us, I'm sure you guys are going to touch on it too, about who the core of this team is and how we missed three or four of that core at the weekend and we were left with the others in a game where it was massively competitive and hard, required hard work and physical focus and intensity and winning your jewels and we didn't have it. We didn't have it. So I think the, you know, in hindsight, again, my hindsight, hindsight level, I'm able to start Hector Bellerin in, in this team actually for the fact that we needed some go forward and we just didn't have any there. And, um, Chambers didn't offer us that. So, um, so yeah, I would have had him in there instead of Chambers on the right-hand side. But I would have started Cedric, you know, and that was just when Tierney went off. I just felt it was, it was potentially a, it was a, it was a time bomb. And, um, and yeah, the rest sort of takes care of itself. Mm. I mean, let's be clear, and you alluded to this. 
Lacazette, Aubameyang, Nicola Pepe. Started the semifinal against City. Started the final against Chelsea. Good enough to win a snap FA Cup. 170 million pounds of talent there. It's not like those were bums that we that we put out up front. All right, we had Thomas Party, 50 million pound star signing of our summer window. Martin Odegaard, who a lot of people want us to make a 50 million pound star signing signing of the upcoming window. The best left back in the league potentially for at least a half of the game. Our star summer center back signing, our best center back of the season. I mean, this wasn't a team that had a bunch of bums in it. And I think you can certainly point to Smith Rowe and Saka and Shaka and Louise not being there, and rightfully so. And yet, you cannot excuse the performance we got. And I want to be clear about saying, playing on the counterattack is a strategy, and not a bad one. Leicester won a title that way. But playing on the counterattack isn't have 36% possession and one shot at halftime. That's just getting battered. Now, thankfully, Liverpool weren't even really awake for the first half, I felt. I thought the first half was pretty much just a drab half of football generally, where they had all the ball and we did nothing, literally nothing. Um, The second half was a bit livelier in both directions. But, Tim, unfortunately, and I hate to do this, it is hard for me to look at this performance, at least in the first half, without saying that the whole thing felt like it pivoted around one of the quintessentially terrible performances from an individual that we've seen in a while in Danny Ceballos. And that Mm. Liverpool clearly focused on denying the ball to the players that could progress it, to Thomas Partey in particular, to Martin Odegaard. And and Ceballos could not get the ball off in time. And so if you're going to play on the counterattack, the two things you have to do is very simple. You have to get it off in time and, and accurately. And, you know, I think Arteta was actually really spot on in his comments after the match. I mean, apart from getting our first, we apologize to the fans that we've had in a while. It was good when one of those gets trotted out. But he basically <laughs> said, these were simple mistakes. We could not pass it to each other. You can't account for that sloppiness. And I think Ceballos' inability to get the ball off on time and accurately for the first half prevented us from being able to play on the counter. So I, I hate to lay it at his feet, but to what extent do you think he owns a lot of the Unfortunately, I hate to say blame, but owns a lot of the responsibility for why that first half performance never sparked to life. Yeah, you used an interesting phrase there. I hate to lay at his feet. Um, <laughs> yeah, because when you I lay it at his feet, it just sits there. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> exactly. Go I was I, I was a bit surprised about um, a few aspects of the the team selection, and and you know what? I I did go back and look at my timeline um, from the game to see like how how I felt progressed, and actually I did say at half time. Um, you know, I, I'm not like because I, I think because loads of people were getting into, um, you know, and, and I think it's quite natural. We're getting into individuals and and things like that. And I, I think I tweeted something like, look, that we've lost a lot of like technical pillars of our team. And I was always worried about that. Um, so like sometimes it's not it's not like the quality of the player you lose or, or sometimes it's not even, it's just if you lose a few players that have like the same attribute, like, like Louise and Jack are losing both of those players. They're not the best players in the world, but losing both of them when you don't really have an analog for either of them, like is problematic. And then mm-hmm. when you multiply that by losing Smith Rowe as well, who's another like technical joining player, you know, Louise, Broadly speaking, Louise joins the defence to the midfield, Xhaka the midfield to the attack, and uh, and Smithrow the midfield to the attack as well in, in another sense. So th- those are like your joining players, and, and we lost all of them, and, and therefore th- that is kind of unfortunate. I, I was really surprised 
um, that we started, that Arteta started to buy us. Uh, I completely expected El Nenny to start mm. this game. And and I'm not necessarily saying, oh, if we'd started El Nenny, it would have been a completely different game. We'd have won or drawn or whatever. We'd probably still lose. I, I'm not sure if we lose 3-0, but to be fair, like the goals didn't go in when Ceballos was on the pitch um, necessarily. But I, I just felt that he'd want that continuity player in El Nenny who is, I mean... It's probably a stretch to call him press resistant because if you don't really pass the ball forward, you're always press resistant. But he's a player who tends not to get the ball snatched off him. Um, And yes, that's generally because he doesn't do a lot with it and because teams don't really bother to press him. But he, he started that Man City game, for example, for that exact reason, right? He started because Arteta thought, okay, I know he's probably not going to get me up the pitch very far, but he's going to stop, um, you know, Phil Foden, Kevin De Bruyne, et cetera, et cetera, snapping it off our toes 30 yards from goal. And that's why I was really surprised not to see El Nenny start because for me, the mixture of Ceballos and his love of two extra touches against the Liverpool press always spelt bad news for me. And the, the fact that Ceballos is a player as well who really tends to go backwards, um, I guess literally and figuratively actually, but who really collapses onto his centre-halves, I, I just don't... I know that um, the choice between El Nenny and Ceballos is not exactly um, a brilliant one for a coach, but I, I just can't believe that he went with Ceballos given the fact that he takes loads of extra touches. When the team comes under pressure, he collapses back onto his centre-backs. Like All of that does not add up to playing against Liverpool for me. So I was I was hugely surprised by that. And mm. even if like um, the plan was to bypassed the midfield a little bit which I don't think it was um, necessarily I think we just we couldn't build out from the back um, then don't put Zabios there anyway <laughs> if you're going to bypass the midfield like I'd definitely sooner see El Nenny there just because at least he kind of shields and he'll run and provide like you know if like a Bamian gets the ball on the left and he's got um, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold and James Milner up his backside. El Nenny will show for him um, and get him out of there and probably pass it backwards, but he'll get him out of there and uh, and just act as that pressure valve. Ceballos isn't going to do that. And so I felt that that was a really... And, like, and I honestly, I felt that before the game. I, I was surprised by the front three, kind of unpleasantly, because um, I, I just don't really think they work together and in anything other than a back three. And I was, I was surprised by this one. I was unpleasantly surprised by Bellerin being left out as well. I, I just looked at this and I thought, who the hell is going to pass us out um, of this, you know, holding Gabriel um, Chambers, Sabite, like none of these players are going to pass us out of pressure. And if we're going for like long balls, then why the hell are we playing Lacazette through the middle? So mm. I, I had a number of issues with the lineup, even if I, I agree with you and don't think that there was, there there wasn't a good lineup for this game, but there were worse lineups. And I think he got it about as wrong as he could possibly have got it. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's, that's right. Even if I don't know that I was as wise during the fact about that. And so, I, you know, I have to raise my hand and admit that with the bad choices he had to make, I sort of grudgingly accepted these choices. But, 
you know what? I'm never going to be someone who says play El Nini over Ceballos, although <laughs> I am going to become that person, to be fair, because uh, I don't know how you could avoid it. I think there were a couple of things that really worked against Arteta here. First of all, the Tierney injury, obviously, and we will get to that with Dr. Rajpal Brar uh, at the end of the podcast, so we won't go into that too much. <clears throat> Suffice it to say, I think it's the worst injury we could possibly suffer, and we don't have anyone to play that role. And Tim, I saw your tweet that it should be Saka going forward. Maybe we'll touch on that uh, in just a little bit. I think two things happen. It's nil-nil at halftime, and he's made a sub. Ceballos needs to come off. But I think if you're Arteta, you can say, look, I've only got two more substitutions. Am I going to make two subs at halftime? And it is nil-nil. So we got through it. He can't play that bad again. I've had them in the dressing room. I've had a chance to coach him up a little. I'm going to roll the dice. I think if it was 1-0 to Liverpool, or if he hadn't had to make the Tierney sub, then I do think Ceballos comes off. And so those things sort of worked against him. Um, Although, to be fair, again, we did not concede while Ceballos was on the pitch. So you can't lay it all at his feet. But for me, the issue is, is the attack. You know, Liverpool's going to create chances. Even as bad as they've been this season by some people's metrics, they are the second best attack in the league behind only City. It's their defense that's an issue. And for us to create 0.09 expected goals and have just three shots, one at halftime. That's what bothers me. Not being able to get out and really hurt them at all. And for me, Paul, a lot of focus has to be put on the decision to start Lacazette centrally and play Aubameyang on the left. Now, I want to be clear about something, and it did come up on the Arscast, so I can't even credit this as original, although I promise I was thinking about this before I listened. When we played Aubameyang successfully on the left, and especially during the FA Cup run, we played a back three. And Lacazette's role was to drop in, connect play, and give it to Pepe or Aubameyang breaking in behind. He was the hold-up guy who was supposed to set those runners in so they could attack the channels. That's not the system anymore. That left-sided player now, when we've used uh, a Smith-Rowe there, <clears throat> or when we've used Willian there, is a connective player. A player to help facilitate getting Odegaard into play, help facilitate get the center forward into more um, effective positions, right? Sometimes run in behind and cross, but that that is a connective player. And the, the facilitator now, the player who delivers the ball is Odegaard, <clears throat> not Lacazette. So you could say, oh, well, you know, Aubameyang's played on the left before and Lacazette's played center forward and he holds it up and he gives it to him, but that was in the back three. That's not really the system we have now. And so for me, it didn't make sense. Get the livelier Martinelli in there. That's what, you know, if you're going to play counterattack and get a guy who will run around like an absolute maniac and press them and harry them and push them back and run all day and try to run in behind, maybe he's not as tactically astute as you'd like. But in this game where you're going to sit in a little bit and you want those guys to just go, let him just go. Let Aubameyang just go. Put some threat in behind those inexperienced, lesser quality center backs. I think he really missed that opportunity. And for me, Paul, this is a terrible Aubameyang performance in a position that I don't think he should have been given, and I certainly don't think he should be given again. Do you want to take issue with that? Uh, if so, why? And if not, why not? Um, yeah. So um, I guess buckle up, everybody, because mm. um, having watched it a second oh, time... No. I know where we're going. Yeah. It was a brilliant performance. Is that where we're headed? No. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Um uh, <laughs> But you know how it is. You go from this zero one black white to, well, you know, <laughs> considering, um, it's not that bad, right? Um, here's my working thesis: like Klopp changed his formation to a four two four to bring on Jota mm-hmm. because they weren't having that much joy. 
I mean, they just weren't. Um, Arteta said that uh, we were, you know, when you're getting everything wrong, basically, you do everything wrong, you're losing all the second balls. That's what I thought we were doing. We weren't. We didn't win as many balls as Liverpool. Um, but, you know, the idea that there wasn't fight, I'm sorry, they're all putting it out there. Have, have people too- said there wasn't fight? I don't, I don't yeah. think that's the criticism. Oh, yeah. I think the criticism is we just sucked. Like, we had one no, no. shot at halftime. One. Yeah, I know. But, like, <laughs> they didn't have that many either. Right? This was a battle. The idea, like, I think a lot of people think we weren't up for this, that they wanted it more. Um, and, like, that's just not what happened. Um, like, my my issue with this was the, the, the weak point in this lineup, I actually think, was going to be Odegaard. Um, and it, I think it relates to a lot of the other things you guys have said. I don't think he has an easy lineup here. But the issue with uh, building our attack, I don't think the plan was to sit in and to counter. I think our... I think that was just a reality of the fact that Liverpool were always going to put that level of pressure on us. But we were clearly not planning to play out from the back, but mm. we were not planning to sit and counter. We were uh, one of the reasons Chambers, maybe it wasn't the reason he was picked, but it was how he was used. On kickouts, we went to Aubameyang once or twice. Uh, we went to Pepe. But we got, I was surprised two or three times, Chambers was like in their half receiving. Um, our our plan was to get control of the knockdowns on that side, uh, play play it around and out through Odegaard, stay up the pitch. The pr- like here's my analogy of the day. One of the problems as a rock climber, if you're a very good rock climber but not a world class rock climber, is if the rock face gives you almost no purchase, people look a lo- looking at you will say, "Oh, he's shit at rock climbing." Uh, like they were just more physical, more intense um, than we were. They're better, we could, They're better than us, Paul. I, I mean, I, can I just yeah, stop you for one second? Especially in the area of the pitch where this this game was fought, right? People can say, oh, there's uh, centre-backs are shit. Well, if you can't quite get enough purchase to get at them, it doesn't really matter. You can say, well, they're not really scoring goals. Well, they scored them against us. They are scoring um, goals. They are, they're the second best attack in the Premier League, and it's not close. They're a distance to, to third, and the only team better than them is City. The problem is, defensively, yeah. they've never been as good as they were against us. Yeah, and we just couldn't get our claws into them. But it wasn't because we d- we weren't planning to or trying to. I think it was a relatively... It, it was a hybrid kind of setup. It was kind of enough in his in Arteta's mind. It was enough attack that we get into this game. It like you got to do a rewatch, guys. It's going to be really interesting. We actually play in the first half, but that's not how you remember it. We actually like we struggle for the first seven, eight minutes of the second half to get into it, and then we get into it. There's a reason he changed the formation. We were in this game. We we weren't in their penalty area, but we were very much competing, fighting, like there were a lot of sloppy passes that that hurt us, hurt us really bad. Um, Lacazette, you know, I, I kind of see the, re- he, he was okay, he was almost like okay in the first half, he was in there, he was fighting, he was winning balls back, sloppy pass here, you know, but it, it, it only, the problem is it didn't make any sense our lineup because we were about playing about 10 or 15 yards deeper than we wanted to. The, their plan for Odegaard was ball went anywhere in his area, he'd be swarmed by three guys, Robertson, 
um, Thiago, and of course Fabinho primarily. Fabinho was all over his ass. It, it, Jermaine Genus had this thing uh, he showed on Match of the Day where the, where he's bitching about how Holding Holding didn't play it up to Odegaard up the middle of the pitch. And he's like, well, why why isn't Odegaard asking for the ball right there? Now, um, uh, Fabinho's right on his shoulder. But he doesn't seem to realize Odegaard's pointing at holding to pass to party because he's trying to create a t- triangle. So because like there's no point in passing it straight to Odegaard. He mm. needs angles. He needs movement. So we're trying um, and we're just not quite at the level. And they're too much for us. But it's not, that's not the same as we were terrible. It was shit. Nothing worked. We had no plan. Like a, in in the instant so reaction, I, I, I didn't I, I say gotta, we had. All right. I got to stop. Uh, hang on. Let me, let me wrap it up here. Though. Okay, please. Uh, <laughs> in the instant, yeah. But sorry. <laughs> like in the instant reaction, I said, I didn't know what the plan was. That's not the same as there was no plan. Obviously, there was a plan. And, and the problem with plans is they can look really stupid if you don't quite get to the point that your your team, your lineup began to make sense. And he, we couldn't quite get up the pitch long enough and stay up high enough. But there was a plan to get us there. We almost did. We almost got into this game. And, you know, it did take a Klopp change of formation before they could make the difference to us. They had to put four guys. They had to really come at us more direct with the switch balls and uh, mm. start getting at us. Yeah, all right. Um, I, I couldn't disagree and more, and I'll explain why. But and, yeah, I'm fine. not saying we're great. I, yeah, I'm not I, saying everybody played great. I'm saying great. it's not the binary scenario. I, n- I now know, after all these years of podcasting with you, it just clicked for me why we lock horns. I don't disagree with you that we have a plan, that we had an idea that wasn't even terrible, that we had a way we wanted to play. Like, understand something. When I think we were terrible... It's not because I think we set out to be terrible, that the players didn't care, that the coach had no idea. But you, it's not good enough to have an idea. Like, they get to do tactics, too. They get to have talent, too. They were more talented than us and had better tactics than us, and we didn't adjust, and we lost, and we lost badly. And, like, whether you, any stat you want to look at, outshot, outpassed, outpossessed, any of them, it's true in the first... Now, look, you are right. They didn't create much in the first half. And I'll admit, in the moment, you look at my tweets, I was like, this is a nothing game. This is a sloppy, terrible, nothing game. We weren't in it. They had 65% possession in the first half, which matches what they had in the second half. And you're right. They made a subtle change. And they attacked us more effectively in the second half. But we've seen games like this. Leicester held us at bay like a little child for half in a game earlier this season. Did nothing. And then beat us with one counterattack in the second half because it was just that easy for them. So I, well, they didn't I, hold us at bay in the first half against Leicester. We were significantly better than them. I think we're thinking of two different games. I'm thinking of the one where we played Party Shaka and El, was it El Neni or Party Shaka and Tobias all together, and we did basically nothing. Did we nothing. win it or lose it? We lost it. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah, we were much better than them in the first half. Luis kept hitting three. All right, and, uh, let's not go back. In. We did a two yeah. podcasts on that game too. Um, so, well, Clive, I, I want to bring you in here to, to respond to what. Paul said, but Paul, again, I want to be clear. It's not that I specifically disagree with your point about what we were trying to do, what we want to do, but I think we were bad at it. And I think that, you know, again, we didn't get to it. So hopefully we can, the Aubameyang thing. Like I, I still think fundamentally that is a misuse of that player in this system that roughly eliminated him from from the game in meaningful ways. And I know he had a couple of And I don't think league... we quite saw how he was supposed to be used okay. in this game because we Clive? never quite got there. And by the way, I'm not saying we were good. 
Okay. Yeah. Director. No. I, but like I said, like I, I see the reason we lock horns sometimes because you're telling me the story of what we wanted to do, and I don't necessarily disagree because it's never my intention to say the players didn't care and the manager didn't have an idea. But I think I I tend to come at it more from the how did that work out for us? And my uh, and answer my, is it did. The other way we lock horns is that I'm not saying we were great. I I just think there's a there's like you can lose sixty forty. Whereas the debates, uh, obviously, it's more clarifying and f- people feel better if you present it as a 90-10. It's like, if you guys do a rewatch, it's going to be interesting. Well, I'll put it to you this way also. You know my perspective. I am always going to be more excited about a game we lose where we create than I am a game we lose where we don't create. And so yeah. with three shots in the total game I and 0.09 XG... I'm always going to feel like that's a failure. Anyway, Clive, why don't you come back in and, and settle the argument about whether we were uh, exceptional, <laughs> as Paul claims, or the worst team in history, as I claim. That's not quite what Paul claimed. Uh, I'm pretty sure it is. But, uh, but, um, I was listening. He said, best team ever. Be- best performance of the season. <laughs> true. So let's true. bring it back to it. The last couple of games, actually, there's been a couple. The West Ham game for the first half, for the first 30 minutes, and this game, there's been questions around clarity of plan again, coming to the surface. Would that be fair? Good Everyone point, wondering yeah. what we're trying to do. And we've lost them. So what we're now doing as fans, because we do this, what's changed? Bam Young's moved away. We've, we've lost maybe a connector. They've got an injury. We've lost a bit of clarity to what we liked before. And we liked it even when we lost games. We liked what we were seeing. The build-up was better. And so we look. We look as fans. I do agree, Paul, that we... Um, I was on his reaction. I was using words like lack of courage, etc. I... I I think that's a little bit hard. Let's just be being absolutely gutted after a performance. But tactics mean different things on different days. Liverpool was all, they are always going to press us back into our half. So ability to spring out was always going to be key. So passes for defensive action are the type of stats I'm looking for in this game. Right. So I'm thinking we've got to spring. We've got to spring. And so to, to enable us to spring, we've got to have some form of three, four pass build up to spring. We weren't even getting that because yep. we were being out pressured. Yep. We were being pressured, so it becomes a game of territory. And um, another another stat that really comes out in this game is your average position. And our average position was back. And then people think we were trying to play on the break. I don't think we were trying to play on the break. I think we were trying to drop the ball into our back line quite early and quickly, and get territory that way by yep. winning our duels at the top end of the pitch and creeping up the pitch, creeping up the pitch. But we could win our duels for being as man of the match. Trent was also second man of the match. They were very front-footed, watching our switch balls, watching our floated goalkeeper passes, watching our long passes from our goalkeeper, which is something to discuss maybe. And they were snapping on the end of it and pushing us back with play. They've got double the passes, so they're in control of the football. We are now reacting to their game plan. And the best line is, other teams get to do tactics too. And their tactics were better than ours on the day. And they imposed themselves on us. So what's the metric to get your your impos- your tactics back on them, for you to impose yourself on them? And this is when I go to the, the duels discussion. This is when I go to the take-ons and the carries and the successful dribbles to get us possession, to move, to commit people, to move them, to create those overloads where we need to. We didn't do any of that. We were totally taken off the ball. But we couldn't sustain any play apart from, and I will watch it. Paul, I haven't rewatched it again. I, I just can't take it. Right? I just can't take it. I will get to it. 
I can't take it. I've got Easter with my family and I want to sit, sit there and smile with them. I do not want to carry that burden with me because I'll be disappointed at what I'm going to see. I know I will be. You have to impose your t- ability, your individual ability, your one-on-ones, whether that be physical or technical, to change the course of the flow of a game. And I'm sorry, we were done. We lost our battles. We didn't win any of them consistently enough to create a waves of attack to push teams back. And that's the contest of football. And we lost it. We just mm. lost it. We have to accept it. It's okay. It's okay. What the shock for me was, in almost every big game since Arteta's been here, we've been com- ultra competitive. We may not be ultra good. We've been quite competitive. Maybe maybe Liverpool, actually. Liverpool do this to us quite often. And teams been to a few of them at Anfield where the game's over in 15 minutes, right? Literally, they blow us off the park. You know, they, they they know how to beat us. Ramp up the speed, ramp up the intensity, go at them like dogs of war, and they'll eventually fold. And this is what happens. Mm. No one can tell me we've solved that problem. We just haven't. We haven't solved it yeah. against Liverpool. We haven't. We've never looked like solving it. You know what's funny too, Clive, is I feel like they save that for us. Because they haven't been doing that they consistently, do. but they save it for us. You know what I mean? They They definitely have determined that the time of year to turn the press back on is against Arsenal, <laughs> you know? Because that's that's not the Liverpool we see. And I, without, look, without falling for the Arsenal vision bingo that was out earlier today. Oh, so good. The, the other team, Check it out. A Highbury librarian, other, I think it is, something like brilliant, that. Brilliant. <laughs> absolutely brilliant. The other teams tell you about you, right? And they know they can outrun us. And with Sobias in there, oh, flipping hell, Callum Chambers in there, oh, cheers, lads. Thanks a lot. Thanks mm-hmm. a lot. We're going to run the arsenal When you view. play a midfielder with the athleticism of Toulouse-Lautrec, <laughs> there's going to be How a lot do of young fellas. you know anything about Toulouse-Lautrec's athleticism? Like, I realize uh, you're a well-read man. You're, you're a man of, of a lot of interests. But that... I think that's that's a stretch. I would I would. He had. I'll tell you what was a stretch is Todger. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! Um, Wikipedia. I'm not. I'm not supposed to have a favorite on this podcast, but you are my favorite member of the podcast, and it's really for one very simple reason. You are the last remaining member of the podcast who will actually answer the question that I ask, and I I do want to thank you for that. Paul gave us a comprehensive explanation of why this game was actually our best performance of the season. And yet, <laughs> did not at any point mention Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, which was the question I specifically asked. But the good news is, that means you get to handle it. And I think it is a meaty and weighty and important question. So, um, mm. I think he played poorly. And I think his lack of effort to cut out the cross for the opening goal is really poor. And... Uh, reminiscent of a very similar lack of effort against West Ham. So... Big problem there. When players aren't making that that extra effort, you know, that, that is a that is a problem because whether you think he should be played on the left or not, he can see that cross coming. He can get in there, make it a little more difficult, and and hopefully you keep that goal out. Because once it was one nil, this game was over. And you look at it, I mean, you know, again, to go to the stats, we didn't create anything this game, but they created very little. Once they got to one nil, the floodgates opened in terms of their chance creation. But I think that the idea that Aubameyang can play on the left was never super true, but was mm-hmm. more true when the center forward in Lacazette was actually a nine and a half and dropping in and there to be the guy who set Aubameyang in or, or Pepe. But that's not how this four two three one works. So I think it makes a lot less sense in this formation and what we've done with that role since we've switched to it. So I would like to think that this experiment with Aubameyang over there has died a death on this day. But 
how do you feel about, I mean, I know, look, I'm, I'm setting up. I know you don't like him being used over there, but do you want to maybe sort of talk about why it's particularly not effective in this system? And, and also, I mean, if you must, you can certainly criticize Aubameyang's performance individually because I, I, I think it deserves it. Yeah, so I I actually didn't feel as um, as strongly about him individually, um, and I, I'm trying to separate the fact that I'm just getting a bit annoyed with the like back against the him. level of, like the level of criticism, a lot of which I think is um, based on a few things that are just a bit like the fact that he's captain and maybe the fact that he got a new haircut. <laughs> and and stuff like that and and I do think our fans have always had a hard time with the Bamiang um and and I do think generally uh, fans have um a hard time with goal scorers who are meant who are not meant to be involved in the game because they're meant to be where the space is but anyway I've said all that before like I I didn't actually think there was anything absolutely egregiously wrong with um with his part in the first goal I I think that like most players don't absolutely rabidly close down someone who's about to cross the ball because you get beaten if you do that. If you just go flying at them, they go past you and they get an even better position next to the next to the byline. Like I, I think, I think if you look at most crosses, that's kind of what happens. Like the fullback um, and the fact that Pamiang's back there in <clears throat> in the fullback's position tells you quite a lot. I think that's just generally what they do. They hang a leg out and they they try to block it, but they don't go flying out. Uh, to the person so I, I didn't really have um, a, a great deal uh, 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 I, I didn't see a great deal wrong with that and mm. I went back the day I think the morning of this game I watched Adrian Clark's breakdown again of the uh, of the West Ham game just to kind of refresh my memory and he actually pointed out quite a few times where Aubameyang was back and tackling and, and things like that mm. He, um, I think Aubameyang had three clearances in this game which was more than anyone other than the centre halves an interception creates our two chances um so i don't think he had any kind of i don't think there was a, a work rate problem there at all when Do you, you think look it's at the just average, that specific moment then because the, because there is a work rate problem for I, the alexander arnold cross to I, I, I did no, have I a good look so. at him when i rewatched it and he was pretty good up till that yeah he yeah. worked I, hard i i don't think that was a work rate problem though i, I just i just don't think that's I, I don't think defences are told to prioritise flying out to someone to stop a cross um, mm. from coming in, generally speaking. I, I definitely, I think Arsenal tend to let crosses come in, to be honest, and I think that's a bit of a tactic. But, um, but I mean, he's he's back there in the first place and he's been back there most of the game. You look at the average position map and like he's where your typical left back would be um, in a game where you have like 50% possession. So like if, if his average position map was like disconnected from the rest of the team up in his own half, then, then yeah, that shows he's just twiddling his thumbs, not doing anything. I thought he did a lot of running. He just did it in the areas we don't want him to do it in, which are in his own half. And so, again, when I reel off those stats to you, the fact that, yeah, he had an interception, which still put him um, among the kind of top players in terms of interceptions, um, three clearances, and he created two chances... But those aren't the things you want him doing. I don't want him making clearances. I don't want him making interceptions. I don't want him setting people up. Mm. Um, and, and that showed you everything that was wrong. It's not that he wasn't trying or that he was disinterested. We just asked him to do a load of stuff that he's never been good at. And even if we'd had more of the ball in this game, I still think that would have been exposed had he not been playing left back 
because we were getting so pressed back. Even if we'd have got out, what would we have been asking him to do? We'd have been asking him to do what Smith Rowe does and like come in off the flank and help us retain possession. He's 31. He's never, ever done that. He's never yeah. been good at that. And so for me, I mean, yeah, I, I think it is a misuse of him. And what what's really galling, Elliot, and what makes me really, really worried about this summer and about entrusting it to the people that we've got in place, look at the decisions they have already made around someone like Willian. That Arteta and Edu made that decision together, right, about Willian. Fucking disaster. Absolute, unmitigated disaster. They made the decision to give Aubameyang a contract. I'm completely open to the idea we shouldn't have given it to him. Or if you don't like Aubameyang, etc., etc., that's kind of fine. Or if you'd like a different striker. But once you make the decision to pay someone that much money... It's a really simple, easy choice, actually. It's not a difficult choice on the technical level because that is, I'm going to build the team around you money. You do not pay that money to someone to say, "Mm, I'm going to occasionally play you on the left wing and occasionally play you up front. When you commit to that much money, what you're saying is you are the star player and we will build the team around you. And if you do not think that the player is worth that, or you're just going to make him another cog or just ask him to play different positions. Don't give him that contract. It's once the sums get that big, it's really, really easy. Same principle as if you're buying a player, you do not spend a hundred million on a player unless you're thinking I'm going to make this person, this person, the absolute sum that this team orbits yep. around. And so it, it's, it's deeply, deeply frustrating. Um, I also, you know, Aubameyang, I saw someone did like a poll on Twitter about who do you want to see start up front in the next game between Aubameyang and Lacazette. Again, I'm open to you. I'm not saying Aubameyang played well in this game. He was completely absent, but so were the other front four, right? Like, like and all these people voting in this poll were saying, I want to see Lacazette play Aubameyang up Aubameyang should start at center forward every game for the rest of the season. It's that simple. It, it's, it's just like, <laughs> so well, you've, got to choo- you've got to choose between them. But yeah. what did people see from Lacazette in this game? That they he was, was terrible. So he was terrible, like, absolutely. All of the front four were completely, like when all of your front four are not getting the ball and not playing well, that shows you that something else is going on beyond whether you like the player's haircut or the fact they're wearing the captain's armband. So mm. I really think there's um, a lack of intelligence around this discourse at the moment, which I am finding quite infuriating. But Don't on our test upset you, Tim, because it's, it's upset you for a couple of weeks now. <laughs> I, I know, I know, I know. Don't let it get I, I'm, because, I'm but, feeding off this energy, though. T- Tim is bringing the energy that I was really hoping we would get. More so than I that, just, thank to, like, that. <laughs> just to wrap this up, yeah, now I've got sure. that off my chest. I really hope that this is the end of that experiment. We've got plenty of other players who can play on that left side. We've got loads of them. Saka, Pepe, Willian, Smith-Rowe. There's there's loads of players who can go and play over there. We do not need to put Aubameyang over there. Play him up front or don't, pay, or don't play him. And if your choices don't play him, then if I'm Stan Kroenke, I'm saying, knocking on Arteta's door and going, why the fuck did you give him all that money? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's (laughs) that's a big black mark against the manager and his future, in my opinion. Stan would have to know where Arteta's office is first and who Pierre Aubameyang is as well. But that's a different story. (laughs) Look, I mean, I'm with you. And the funny thing is, people say, oh, the the way you attack Liverpool is in the space that Trent Alexander-Arnold vacates. Well, that's exactly how we destroyed Spurs. But we used Smith Rowe to do it. We didn't use a guy running in behind. We used a guy who started from a left-back position, then came up to a hybrid left-wing position, and really interchanged intelligently with Tierney. 
And, and, you know, I mean, look, I'm no Willian fan. I don't know if Martinelli is positionally as astute, but I, I know that Aubameyang is not going to do some of those things that Smith-Rowe adds in that position, so you have to reimagine it. I think, as much as I hate to admit it, this may have been a game for him to go back to the 3-4-3, to, to go back, you know, if you want to play in this way against a big team like this, then then go back and do it in a setup that that facilitates those kinds of wide overloads in a more effective way where those players, Pepe and, and Aubameyang, can run in behind as opposed to having to come short, link the play, and then, you know, a, a lot more of a a positional intelligence about their game. I want to bring Paul into this because you will be shocked to know that Paul does not want to be frozen out of the Obamiang conversation. If only I had asked him an Obamiang question so he could have opined on it. But you know what? I do not hold grudges. He says holding a grudge. Paul, would you like to add on the Obamiang situation? Look, you would have realized if you were more intelligent that I had actually re- responded on the Obamiang question earlier, which was, that we didn't quite get to the positions in the pitch where it started to make some sense. Ah, Look, I, but I am not yeah. more intelligent, so the joke's on you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, you win. Um, <laughs> look, I my short point here, which is I think that our plan was to play up the right, overload Odegaard, uh, Lacazette, Pepe, Chambers coming up from behind, create stuff on the right like we did against West Ham and have Aubameyang come in from the left to get on the end of it. I think that was the plan and we never quite got there. I think the other side of the plan was, hey, wouldn't it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if uh, Trent is pushing forward and Lacazette can run in behind there. I don't think, think that was necessarily the primary reason. I think we were looking to build largely up the right and we never quite got there. Mm. And I, you know, I think... You know, just just to reiterate, I'm not going on about us not having the right attitude or application or caring. I'm not You're even not. saying no, no. I'm not saying there aren't people. But doing plenty that. others not. were. Sure, I don't feel that way. Um, I think, and when I, I say, and, I'm, I, and Clive said, you know, about the instant. Re- I, I certainly wasn't even thinking about Clive. I'm just, you know, I've been in, a, seen a lot of discourse. I've been in a lot of discourse. I've seen analysis of the game. I've listened to Arteta's comments. I've looked to uh, match of the day analysis. And like, there's a lot of, they wanted it more than we did. And yeah. I think that's I, I tend, I tend not to engage in that. Cause I just, I don't know how you're supposed to know a thing like that. But mm-hmm. what I will say is that I do agree with Arteta in one respect, which is in the first half, what killed us was just a failure to execute basics. There was mm-hmm. one moment where Party had it, for example, and Aubameyang got in. He was in behind. I don't know if this first or second half. I think it's first half. And Party plays the right pass on time, over the top sort of diagonal, but it's just three yards off. And it allows the Liverpool defender, I'm not sure who it was, to get back and cut it out. There were so many moments like that where either... I remember there was one where Aubameyang is so in and there's so much space and Ceballos just touches and touches and touches and touches again. Doesn't get it off in time. There were a lot of moments like that in the first half. I think the game was lost first in the first half where we had opportunities and the precision wasn't there. It was too sloppy. Yeah. I, I do think that what's starting to frustrate me is a narrative that anytime we lose and play poorly, the players are no good. And when we win, Arteta has revitalized the club. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know that I love that binary that's developing. And I think that Arteta's thing here is anyone can get their tactics wrong or get outplayed. Right, the other team gets to do tactics too. How do you react to it, Clive? I think I think one of the problems here is that I don't think he reacted particularly well. But I I do think he had a, a slight challenge in that it's halftime. You're getting battered, sort of. 
but they haven't created a ton and it's still nil-nil. You've had to make an enforced substitution. So how much more do you want to tinker at that point? Do you think that the Tierney injury really limited Arteta's ability to react at halftime in a way he might have otherwise? And and maybe you can generally, let's not speculate about the injury because Dr. Raj is coming on um, at the end of the pod and he'll, he'll talk a bit about that. But just in terms of what it does for us in terms of how we play and how we handle it. Yeah, so just quickly on Oba, right? Back in the days when he was playing left, he was never asked to be part of the five channels defensively because we had them covered with our wing backs, right? So, and when we had the ball, he had a, a bouncer behind him, either a main Niles or Saka, doing a lot of the work so he could focus on picking pockets. So he was a striker from the left. Now we're asking him to be a left midfielder, stroke left wing back. That changes dynamic. And his face is showing his age the amount of unnecessary work he's having to do. So that that really does explain what's happening there. On the left-hand side, funny enough, I James had a good article in the um, Athletic today, and somebody I didn't pick up originally, and I, because I was so worried about Tierney anyway, but not just what he was, how he was playing, because he's not playing his normal attacking, running downhill self. I was just watching him running backwards, thinking, oh, no, you look knackered, you look knackered. I wish he didn't have to play this game. That was my emotion when I was watching the game. But when he came off, his ability to hold that side had gone. So he may not have been too attacking down that side, but he held that side. And a lot of their goals came from that side once he left the pitch. And I think, again, people look at that side, and like you have done earlier, look at Aubameyang, I think could he have closed him down? And could he close his distances down? May he block the cross? He developed around him. He had time to react. You're asking an elite top five European forward over the last five years to turn into Kalashnik. Do you see what I mean? To, to block a cross? And it's, it's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. I, I just think the ability to react, I do agree, was taken away with injury because you think, you say, I've got to take, I've got someone to come off. I want to make another one. I can't make it at half time because I've got one substitution to make post international break. I could have people creaking, which we never know about. Somebody could be saying, I'll give you another 20 minutes, see how I go. Do you know what I mean? And see, so he was frozen. He couldn't react. And I think, he, he, I don't think he's great at reactions anyway. I don't think he's a great guy at substitutes. I really think he's always five, two minutes slow. But I did have sympathy in this game because of the way the game was going, our lack of imposition of our plan, our lack of dual winning, I and our lack of average position, funny enough, we hadn't even seen what we could do. You know, and then you're looking at the team, you're thinking, actually, your Arteta's mistakes for me were made pre game. They were made with Sabias. They were made with a Bamiyan. And they were made with the right back. I thought it was a wrong right back for this day. It should have been a sprinty one. Bellerin or Cedric. Simple as for sprinty Liverpool. You don't put Chambers into this game. Chambers lost five of his seven aerial duels. He's not even winning that. Against Burnley and West Ham, he was dominating those situations. Against Liverpool, he wasn't. So what's the point? Might as well have somebody whose trade is a right back out there. So that took away his ability to react positively by poor pre-game selection. And that is a bit of hindsight, yes. But I would have started me. I would have started with Martinelli. And I said it. And I would have started with Cedric on the right back side of things. And I definitely would have started with Martinelli. And then you have the ability to react off the bench in a more positive way. And it, it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, and I, 
it is tough, right? Because we had so little control in this game and we haven't played like that in a long time. Um, you know, I, I think even, am, am I right in remembering even the last game against City? I think we were more in it, more in the game. You know, had our share of possession and control. And granted, there were some people that suggested that they were sort of in second gear for a lot of that game and could have turned it up to win it whenever they wanted, you know, which is kind of narrative driven. But we haven't really had to play like this in a while where we were just sort of out of the game in terms of controlling territory, controlling possession. And, you know, I think sometimes for players when they have to play that way, it can be hard to switch. I think about, you know, back when our Arsene Wenger's teams used to go and play with those Barcelona sides and switching from being a team that routinely had 60% possession to being the team that had 30%. And it's a very difficult change to to make. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. It, it's... It's not a good game. I, what I want to do, I want to get to a little bit of question about Arteta and and where we go from here with the season and and with the uh, Europa League on on the on the horizon. You know, it is spring, which should be a time for renewal and revitalization. Um, it's a growing season, right? I mean, the thing about spring, it's, it's the time of year when things grow, um, and so it's also the time of year when you know occasionally we have to cut those things that grow, right? We have to we have to do some trimming. We have to. Start to get things looking nice for the summer. We have to lawnscape. We have to manscape. That's right. It's a manscaped ad. Yeah, I don't know. I was reaching for a segue there. But suffice it to say, Manscaped is back and we are thrilled to be uh, associated with this wonderful company that is going to help you this spring, this, this season of growing, to help some of the growing stuff go away. That's right. Look, the pandemic, when it ends, what are we going to do? We're going to run into the street. We're going to drop our pants. We're all going to share privates. And I would really love it if yours were resplendent uh, in their in their manscaping or femalescaping, whatever it is, womanscaping. Um, but I do want to tell you about a new product. So we've been talking about this a little bit. Finally got a chance to try it. Absolutely love it. Um, it's the Weed Whacker. So it's got 9,000 RPM uh, dual blade motor, 360 degree rotary. So it's for nose, it's for ears. I, I have a big paranoia that as I get older, my nose hair and my ear hair is going to run wild. And I think it's hard to see. And so the, the weed whacker for me eliminates that concern. Obviously, we've got the lawnmower 3.0 taking care of the, the downstairs area and the chest and the, the sideburns if you want. Waterproof, wet, dry, great battery life. You can use all of it. They have great products, by the way, hygiene products. I don't really talk about them because even I find it uncomfortable to talk about a product called the Crop Preserver or the Crop Reviver, uh, which is what these things are called. But if I'm being honest, they're actually pretty awesome. Uh, and they keep you sort of spring fresh down there, which is which is great. And they even have a great cologne. So there's a lot of good stuff going on at Manscaped. I think the Weed Whacker and the Lawnmower 3.0, you know, as someone who who has a small yard and has a lawnmower, like an actual lawnmower, um, I do not enjoy using that as much as I enjoy using the Weed Whacker and the Lawnmower. So I hope you will as well. 20% off of free shipping when you use our promo code, Arsenal Vision. That's right, Arsenal Vision. That's the promo code. You go to manscaped.com, you get 20% off and free shipping. So please do that. It's spring cleaning, baby. It's time. Get cleaned up. And uh, if we do have this live event, a, a wonderful chance to all show each other our privates. And to be clear, please don't do that. I'm kidding. If you come to the live event, you don't have to show me your privates. In fact, uh, it is strongly encouraged that you do not do that. That is a joke. Uh, uh, your mileage may vary. But please go. Elliot, yeah. Cl- mm-hmm. Clive points out. Oh, sorry. Do you mm-hmm. want to ramp up there? No, no, all I was going to say is go to manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision, 20% off free shipping. You're good. Go for it. Yeah, Clive pointed out you made quite the confession in there about having such a small yard. I do um, have a small yard, but I clean it up nicely. You know, yeah. that's what it's I tell about. You, 
I tell you who could. It's not the size it. of the yard. It's the it's the the way it's man- manicured or groomed. It's the size of the lawnmower. Yeah, I tell you who could have used a manscape. Uh, Toulouse Lautrec. Look it up. Yeah, yeah. I got. I got to be honest with you. Um, Paul is extremely well read and knowledgeable on a wide range of topics. Uh, so if I make fun of him for thinking that the Liverpool game was our best performance of the season, I cannot make fun of him for uh, for his knowledge of things like. Talese, anatomical knowledge of loot. Yeah, a- a- yeah. anatomy. That's right. Um, Tim, I'm going to come to you for this. So, you know, I, I think it is time for a little navel-gazing, summarizing, thinking about about where we sit. There, You know, I remember towards the end of Arsene Wenger's era, every win was an indication that he should stay and that we were right to stick with him, and every loss was an indication that his time had come. And I feel like once you get to that point where it is a referendum on the coach's future on a game-by-game basis. It's very hard to pull back from that. Mm-hmm. And I start to think we are reaching that point with Arteta a little bit. He's built up a lot of goodwill for me since Boxing Day. And I would suggest that if he got this team playing the way it has since Boxing Day for an entire season, that that would be roughly what I would expect him to do. And so that would be reason mm-hmm. enough to stick with him. The thing that hurts me is that this result admittedly against a team that just won the league last season and isn't nearly as as bad as people have made out. This is as poor, in my view, a performance as we've had since pre-Boxing Day. It belongs in that category of performances. So I'll ask you just simply, did this performance dent any of your your enthusiasm for the work he's done since Boxing Day and and raise any red flags for you? And how do you think we deal with the fact that we seem to be back in that situation now where – Anytime we lose a game, the manager's future is litigated again. Yeah, so I I just think that's the general run of things now. Um, actually, enough, you see yeah. it with you see it with players now. Every game is a is a referendum on a player, and not none of us are guilt free um, in that respect. Um, maybe some of us more guilty than others, but none of us are guilt free. And so I I do I don't think that's a situation unique to Arteta. As to whether it's damaged some of my confidence, yes, of course. Um, kind of how could it not like like every poor performance damages your like they're all um they're all scars right um i think arsene benga described every defeat as a scar on his heart and uh, you know soon enough you keep scarring your heart it will stop Mm. (laughs) generally speaking um i'm no we have a doctor on later i'll I'll ask him if that's true (laughs) Um, and and you know I'd I'd say I my confidence fragile anyway um, in Arteta and I guess I'm trying to balance that in my own head versus well how many mistakes am I actually expecting from a guy who's never managed before I uh, and and I don't think I've been quite as enthusiastic about the period since Christmas as others which is not to say I haven't been enthusiastic about it and I don't see the improvement I do it's just um there's still we still haven't actually taken that many points yeah um in in the period and and i you know and i guess it's how far do you separate like the boneheaded errors and stuff like that um and how far is that just getting rid of certain players who make those errors but yes that you're you're quite right this was a regression it reminded me of the man city carabao cup game in december where i i really thought arteta's goose was cooked then when i think we got done 4-1 um or was it 3-0 i can't all of these man city easy at man city home defeats blur into one 
And um, it reminded me of, you know, the last game before Arteta took over where he was on the opposite in the opposite dugout and he said something about, um, you know, he felt really sad about what had happened to Arsenal um, in terms of Man City just turning them up and rolling them over. Yeah. And then we played that Man City Carabao Cup game. It's like, hmm, it's kind of like we've gone full circle, isn't it? <laughs> um, and this this did feel like that again. The, 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 um, the, the thing will be here is how we react to this. So if there is a reaction to this and we get another, I don't know, nine or ten games or we just finish like quite strongly, then it just becomes easier to compartmentalise and say, okay, bad day at the races, manager probably made some some mistakes. Liverpool, who've been a bit jaded and burned out, they had some players who had a couple of weeks rest. There were no South American qualifiers. Trent was left out of the England team. So they had some players at least who had a bit of a breather and they were more like their normal selves. And, you know, you, you can, we have to, they have to show that that's a bit of a one-off, even though it's not a one-off in the grand scheme of things. But if we're, you know, putting like a cordon down, a cordon sanitaire on everything that happened before Christmas, then it is kind of a one-off since then. And, and they have to kind of prove that that is the case and that, Essentially, what has to happen for there to be progress is these kind of performances have to become further and further apart until they eventually just disappear altogether. So I, I, it really depends on how we finish now and how these last, like, is it eight league games, mm-hmm. bit of Europa League, you know, play well enough in those. Even You know, we're not going to win every single one of those games. We're not good enough to do that. But if we finish strongly enough... Um, perhaps put the Europa League trophy in there, then that obviously repairs the confidence. But yeah, yes, it did damage my confidence, and my confidence is already a little bit shaky just because some of some of the stuff that's happened in the market with Arteta and Edu. Um, I still have trust issues there uh, with 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 regards to the rebuild. Yeah, it's really really tough for me, Tim, because I tend to be someone who looks at performances and metrics before I look at results. But you can get a bit up your ass doing that, I admit. And this resurgence, just the last eight league games, for example, which had a mix of easy games and hard games, taken 11 points from eight games, 11. So I get that the performances, in my view, have been vastly better, and the underlying metrics show us as one of the top three or four teams since Boxing Day. But eight points from 11 points from the last eight games, if we do that over the next eight, the final eight, We'll be finishing on 53 points, which, not great. Just to put it in perspective, we we did a prediction sheet before the season. I predicted us to finish with 63 points, Paul 63, Clive 68, Tim 68, Scott 60. We are on pace to miss all of those, potentially by a lot. Now, to be fair, we have a relatively easy run-in at the very end that could see us push the high 50s, and even hit Scott 60. So you say, well, if we meet our expectations, then that's a reasonable season. Um, I I think he's going to have to do a lot of hard work towards the end of this season to get us to a respectable point total, and then it comes down to, and Clive, I'll turn this over to you. I mean, I think if the performances and underlying metrics that we've seen since Boxing Day up until this game continue the way they were going all the way through the end of the season. That would be encouraging enough to me, especially if we do something special in Europe, then obviously, to say, yeah, let's let's keep going. Does he have work to do in your mind to make it a sure thing? All right, set the Cronkies aside. 
because they may just do nothing because it's the easiest solution. But for you to feel confident in this project continuing forward, is there still work for him to do this season? Oh, this season, Tim has mentioned the word react there, right? And I'm yeah. thinking, okay, we have to react to something, right? So we ended the game at the weekend without Luis, Shaka, Tierney, Saka, Smith, Rowe, Abariang, all and all off the pitch, right? Six, six or so of our better players, right? All off the pitch, and now we're going to have to react to what we, what's happening going forward. And probably without Tierney and and probably without Louise, as we know, for at least a month. So that ability to react is where the manager earns his money. Because I think he's going to have to reshape the team. I really do. Project stops. Project 4231 stops for me. Because we've got to reshape the team. We've got to get results. Right? We have to get results. We might just create partnerships with Martinelli and Saka on the left-hand side. And just say, let's get that back going again. We've, we've got to look at Smith Rowe and say, look, you're not lasting. You've got to share games with Odegaard in that central position. And we work the right-hand side. You know, and uh, Aubameyang centre forward. We're going, to have to, we're going to have to do this. We're going to have to do this. We're going to have to reshape what we're doing and hold for a little while. Because we've got results to get, particularly in a cup competition, which we're not bad at. You know, and um, we may have to pick three centre-backs from, from four and say, look, we hold it here, and we go back to what we were doing, rather than trying to shoehorn the right foot and left back into the system, which we know is not going to work. It's not going to work consistently. We know that, don't we? I think we spend too long knowing things are incorrect, convincing ourselves they're okay, until they become incorrect again. And what we do as fans is we snap angrily back outward, because our underlying feeling comes back when we when we have a defeat. I knew I was right. I should have said it. I'm going to say it now. I'm going to say it loud. I, I'm mean? the idiot, Clive. I apologized to Arteta just like two pods ago. If I had just waited, I wouldn't have had to apologize. I could just stuck with my crappy <laughs> but, opinion but, originally. But, but the thing is, we're all, we're all, we're all football fans. Right? We're supporters. And we want this to work, don't we? We want this so, to Clive, work. So, what's, Clive, what's driving that at... At its essence, is it the fact that we're losing Luis and Tierney and that's going to have knock-on effects? Or do you just well, mean I, I regardless so. of that? I think so. You talk about, I know people don't like this, you know, but Luis and Tierney, they are in our first eleven every week and they are two of our leadership characters. Well, well Tierney right? can be our most important player, full stop. <laughs> exactly. And look at the results when he doesn't play, when he had, when he had those lower limb injuries after after Christmas. That's when we blew it against Wolves Villa. You know, he plays those games, we're fine. <laughs> you know, so so it's it's a this is it this is it now, reaction time. Because you get given challenges through a season. And these are the type of things I I look at the manager for, you know, these are sort of stuff I look at look at. React. You know what's wrong, you know where we have to go, do it. Choose. Select. Stop doing things out nice. I heard you're ruthless. Stop stop playing Sabayas. You know it was wrong. I don't care what he's saying, Trey. You know it's wrong. That's why you played him in the third midfielder. You were worried about his stability, yet you played him again. It wasn't going to work. You know the answers. You know that Bam Young sent the forwards. Stop trying to find reasons in a game plan to get him in behind fullbacks. Get him up front. You know, these sort of things are the sort of things which chip away at confidence. Personally, I I feel there's a project here that needs investment. It does, it absolutely does. There is no way out of this. We've got £160 million loss coming next year. 
We can sell loads of players, but everyone wants to sell loads of players. Who knows what's going to happen? We need investment to shortcut this. We need to lift the quality. And I know people say, oh, we lose a game, we've got to change the players. Well, some people say we lose a game, we've got to change the coach. We've got to change Edu. You've got to get Vinay out. You've got to get KSE out. People go where they can want to change go. The, change the club, maybe? Yeah, just, change the yeah, club. Rip the club, club apart. We just lost the game to Liverpool. Change the, the stadium. Second. Just get it all out. We were the best team in the world for two years, basically. They lost two centre backs. That's why they stumbled and they scraped. They scraped their knee, and guess what? They found a way to to fix it. They've reacted. It took them a while. They're thirty points down on last season. It took them a while, you know. So we have to react. We're too slow. I, I said this offline, but we're too slow. We're too slow with our player identification and recognition that the quality is not there. I've said this a thousand times. I'm going to say it again so people can hear it. I went to the Emirates and I watched Liverpool versus Arsenal. You, you guys know what I'm going to say. Klopp's first game at the Emirates. Mane ripped past Holding and Chambers in that game. He won the first game of the season. And here we are, six, seven years later, and we watched Liverpool-Arsenal at the Emirates and Mane ripped past Holding and Chambers. I mean, what the hell are we doing? Mm. Is it possible we doing? that we are stuck in a time loop? And actually, it isn't six or seven years later. Have you considered that? <laughs> what are we doing? Oh, I'll tell you what we're doing. We're giving out new contracts. You know, that could be to protect the asset. I get it. But do you see what I mean? And then people want to blame that somebody, that one person. This is a club thing, mate. This is a club thing. We, we are so slow at making decisions and it's costing us. And this is why we need the investment. But Tim's point is the point that many people who are listening to this are going to say, do I trust these guys to do the rebuild that we obviously need and that is the question it's the only question looking forward and i can't say with certainty to anybody you should trust them because what's that based on we do we have to trust because we're fans right looking in from the outside but i can't say with certainty you should trust i just can't this comes from a debate that i had in the discord earlier today i want to be clear about something i have absolutely no problem with anyone who wants to look at the results in our point total and say, this is not good enough. There is no big club in the world where a manager would get to keep his job with this unless he wins the Europa League, which you know I think changes the calculus pretty dramatically, but maybe it doesn't for you. If you feel that sitting on 42 points 30 games into the season is an absolute shambles and you don't keep your manager when that happens, I can't say you're wrong. Of course not. I also have sympathy for the perspective that, hey, I get it, but since Boxing Day, we've been one of the four best teams in the league by metrics, even though the results haven't fully been there. The squad is flawed, but we're starting to see some football that makes sense. I'm prepared to stick it out with this guy. I get that. What I don't get is the sense that changing the manager would be a calamity, that it would be a cataclysm for the club, that you change this guy, the club crumbles. That's just not reality. There are a million good football coaches in the world. They get plucked out of nowhere all the time, show up, are good, build careers. Klopp left Dortmund. They were fine. No, there aren't. Sure there are. Hang on. There are not a million. All right, fine. You're right. So now we're going to be literal? Mr. Analogy is going to be literal now? There's there's hundreds. (laughs) No, no. No, there aren't. Because you need a hundred uh, hundreds that we know will be good when they come here. Now there, you're there's not one few. person that fits. I well, there's say, maybe two on. people that fit that description. I, yeah. Hang on. You can't go from there are millions to there, or, are. there are hundreds to then asking me, are there one or two? There are. Can we get them? Do we know who no, they are? No, there are hundreds. There are hundreds. I, I, I mean that. There, there are, are hundreds, hundreds of coaches we, we don't could hire have, who would do a fine job. 
Because at the end of the day, coaches don't matter that much. We overstate the extent to which coaches matter. And the the fact of the matter is, sacking your coach doesn't crater your club. It didn't crater Chelsea, who just sacked the legend of their coaches. coaches don't matter. Why would we sack the one we have? Well, because I'll explain. If you just give me a sec, I'm getting there. The, The reality is the majority of coaches move the needle a few points, two points this way or that. That's what they're worth. Now, that can be your whole season. That can be top four or not top four. It can be a title or not a title. But that's what the majority of coaches do. What you're looking for is that rare example of a coach who can elevate all the parts in your team and make your team substantially outperform its talent. Get it to a level that is better than its talent. Like what Pep does. And you say, well, Pep has tremendous talent in his team. He does. But I think Pep then takes that talent and forges it to be something even greater than what that talent alone can do. I think Klopp has a similar capability. Not a lot of coaches have that, but, but they do pop up. And wherever you look at teams that have sacked managers, it is very rare that you will say, well, that was a disaster for them. I mean, whether it was Leicester or Chelsea or Dortmund or all these clubs that have done it. I mean, the irony is the one disaster, you could argue, is Arsenal sacking Arsene Wenger. And this brings me to my biggest point, which is, A club that has an infrastructure above the coach that is healthy and functioning and effective can move from coach to coach quite seamlessly. The problem at Arsenal, in my view, and the issue that is bound up with moving on from Arteta is that we do not have that. That's the thing that is the cataclysm. That's the thing that is the crisis. Because right now, Arsenal want the manager to be like Arsene Wenger, a catch-all problem solver for everything wrong at the club. Find the players, sort out the contracts, solve the ego issues, fix the culture, put together the tactics, win on the pitch. And because of that, changing the manager can be a cataclysm because there is no infrastructure for moving from coach to coach. So are there a hundred coaches you could hire who could do a perfectly fine job at Arsenal? Tactically, there absolutely are. But lacking the infrastructure above the coach, that's where I think you have the real challenge. And that's the part that I have my eye on this summer to say, can this club get it right structurally so that whoever the coach is, whether it's Arteta or someone else, can just do their job on the pitch instead of having to do all the jobs in the way Arsene Wenger was expected to for nearly two decades. And and so, Paul, that is where I was that. building with I this. I agree switch. with that. I don't, I, I'm a lot less comfortable on the any Joe soap. There's hundreds of coaches. But I do agree uh, with the thrust of it, which is our problem uh, would be that we would not necessarily find it easy to move from coach to coach, even if the coach is okay. And it's bloody expensive. I mean, there's a transaction cost for changing coaches, well, well, sure. even in a well-run club. And and like when we're on such a limited budget, like I think the only w- reason you change Arteta is if he loses the dressing room. Because on, or what if you he got think us relegated? he's a bad coach. What if he got us relegated? Uh, but he didn't lose uh, the dressing room. Would you keep him? Is there does. any bar below which performance you would sack the manager? He would lose the dressing room before he got relegated. Losing the dressing room is it. Let's That's say what we finish Emery with 48 in. points and get knocked out by Slavia Prague. Would you replace him? Uh, No. See, I mean, because this, this is why people get frustrated, because I am certainly going to be process-driven. That's how I try yeah, to think about it. Yeah, but these people have never have... hired people, right? I, I've used this analogy What's before. The if you hire sales, hang on, if we hang on, replace hang on. Okay. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you hire salespeople, uh, it's really hard to get good salespeople. If you've got one who doesn't hit your numbers, but you believe in him, you don't fire him. 
because you've been through the ringer time and time again looking for good people. Now, the question is, do you think he's a good person? Do you think he's a guy like if your belief is the guy isn't good and he hasn't hit your metrics, then you get rid of him. But not I think hitting in your sports, metrics not hitting your guideline. metrics means you're not good. I, that's why I think sports are so special. No, sports no, 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 that's absolutely wrong. If you worked with people and hired people and put them against metrics, you would not fire the people who didn't reach your metrics. Because well, after a few years, okay. you'd realize this is really fucking stupid. I keep keeping people who aren't actually that good. And man, I let go of some good people that I didn't give the time to I, I, that I actually thought were good. You don't fire people because they didn't hit your metrics. Metrics right, so, so, are a guideline. So, so they I sort of agree. Clarity. I sort and if of your agree. manager is better in the second half of the season, the first half of the season, he may not hit your metrics, but you don't fire him unless you're an idiot. I would. And and I think where we disagree is that I think sports is unique. If you If you sign a striker for 50 million pounds and he gets you six goals a season, he sucked. He was bad. That's it. It, that's why sports are great. Sports are great because they put numbers to things and those numbers matter and they tell you how you did. And if you're not like, because here's the other thing, uh, Tim. Metrics let me, are great because they give you easy answers, but they're easy. They're not good. They quantify what's happening. And, no, and I they think it's don't. Some, they but, are. But also, look, models in general are imperfect, but football metrics are so basic. So in your view, even there the are, advanced metrics are basic. Fine. So in your view, there is no bar of failure below which you would sack him as the long as the people in charge of a think he's good. who's failing is he loses the dressing room because they know. I, I, OK. And, and by the way, I sort of agree that losing the dressing room is a great time to sack a manager. I'm not sure. I agree that it's the only way. I mean, I don't know no, that Lampard had lost the, the, the dressing room at Chelsea, but I know he has been improved upon by Tuchel, which is sort of an he ironic time to bring that up. He lost the dressing okay. room at the Well, Tim, let me, let me ask you something. Chelsea, so so you let know. me throw this to Tim for a in second. Fact, in fact, uh, I'll help you with that one, Elliot. He lost the dressing room way before Fine, they sacked him. Fair enough. Him. Super. Okay, Tim, what is the worst thing that could happen if we sacked Arteta? Like, what's the worst? What, what terrible thing could happen? Are we going to get relegated by the manager we hire? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, so, honestly, I think... So I, I do agree in terms of I do think it is slightly more difficult to judge Arteta just because of like the whole rebuild thing. And, you know, I guess you can throw the COVID thing and all of that into it. Like at some point, Arsenal were going to have to go take a step backwards to take a step forwards. I do believe that. Um, I don't think like more sideways steps is is what we need. The, the so the question with Arteta becomes: Do you believe that he can do the forwards bit? Um, because we've gone a couple of steps backwards, we're probably going to finish below where we finished last season, eighth, or we're, we're certainly going to finish in and around. Like we're not going to drastically improve or or get worse than that. So um, it it really does become a like I think he's a good coach. I do like I think I think that's self-evident that he can coach whether he can be a manager I don't know but he's he's certainly got I think a decent enough football brain um the squad is a mess and it has been for years we know that so really the only question to me at the moment that matters is do you trust him to 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 do the rebuild and to buy the and to get rid of the right players and to buy the right players and and the ones that um you know, that really, whatever you think of the football he plays, and I'll be honest, I, I don't really like the football that much. Um, 
but but that may be a preconceived bias on my part because I don't as much as I think they're brilliant I, I just don't enjoy watching Man City it just doesn't float my boat um, so that that style of football doesn't enormously excite me. I, I do like something a bit more um, a bit more off the cuff, but that, that's just a personal preference. I'm not going to hold that against the coach per se. And so the, the the question really is, do you trust him and the people around him um, to yeah to do to do what's necessary and to build the team in his vision in the way that he wants to play? And I I I, I still have trust issues there mm. how much they'd be solved by getting another manager I've, i honestly i don't know i don't know i to, to your question elliot i think honestly the worst that would happen is that we'd be where we are in the league but with no prospect of going any higher um but that that in itself is subjective because at some point you've got to make the call right this guy is he's just taking us sideways he's not taking us on so like i i do think that there is truck with the argument of giving arteta time because you probably appoint him to this job a knowing he's inexperienced and will make mistakes and b that a lot needs doing and it probably needs like one step forwards to go one step backwards to go two steps forwards. So I, I do think that there's a lot going on here that is quite difficult beyond the, um, you know, we're, we're 10th and <laughs> that that's really crap. And, you know, Chelsea would sack their manager for that. Of course they would. Um, but that's, that's Chelsea. That's, that's something quite different, I think, to what's going on here. So, uh, like, honestly, I think the, the worst that would happen, Elliot, is that is an, an outcome that we'll never know because we'll never be on that timeline. The worst that could happen is that we sack Arteta, we get someone who doesn't take us on, and Arteta goes somewhere else and is brilliant, and we go, fuck, did we just fire someone who's actually really, really good and with a bit more time would have shown it? Yeah. Um, but, but again, that's, that's what you get when you... Also, when you hire a manager with literally no track record with Emery, you look at Emery's track record and you go, well, this guy's not going to like this is we're not on the cusp of greatness here, are we? Like he's fairly average, relatively speaking, and we've gone from average to bad. And so you do, you look at his track record and go, well, he's not going to bring us back here, whereas Arteta doesn't have that track, rec track record, which complicates this conversation. Yeah, I mean, look. Pep Guardiola took over for Yapankis at Bayern Munich and proceeded to not produce as good an outcome as Heinkes did. Do I think Guardiola is the better coach? I do. The number one predictor of outcomes at clubs is the talent in the squad. More than anything else, it is the number one predictor of the outcome. And coaches kind of guide you to that outcome. Some of them guide you below it and some of, you, some of them guide you above it. But it's, I, I think it's in a narrower band than we think. And I guess my point is, if we sacked our... And by the way, I am not ready to say sack Arteta now. I have said consistently that the, tra the trajectory we're on post-Boxing Day, I think is, is upbeat and positive. If he continues it through to the end of the season, I'm absolutely on board seeing where it goes from here. I'm sort of taking the position of defending the people that aren't okay sticking with him in saying that if we sack Arteta, we're not going to crater because there's no cratering to do. This club is in what constitutes a crater for it. So you're right, Tim. We may miss out on some extraordinary coach in the making. But you know what? He's going to leave us eventually anyway. That's the irony. So let's say we don't sack him. And he stays two more seasons and leaves at the end of his contract. I mean, he's going to go eventually anyway. So if it is a cataclysm to lose your coach 
then that cataclysm is coming one way or another. But you look at Sven Mislintat, he takes over Stuttgart, they're relegated, he hires some guy named Pellegrino Matarazzo, no one's ever heard of, he does a brilliant job, he takes them up, and now he's taking them near European places, right? For the the, the next um, Tuchel or Nagelsmann, or, you know, these, there's no one until there's someone. And maybe Arteta will ascend to that level, and I certainly think he could, I think he understands football well enough to, but we we have to not be scared to let an Aubameyang go or let a coach go. Let you know, we keep repeating the mistakes of fearing that if we don't hold on to what we have, we'll fall apart. And by doing that, we have fallen apart. So, Clive, I mean, I guess I just think it's a weird time to have this debate. Yeah, I have it's to, one I have fucking to, I mean, I game. For fuck's sake, get a grip. No, it's it's not a weird time to have the debate. Only because there are tons of people having it, and to to ignore it. Is and to I'm suggest- saying get a grip okay. to them. Yeah. Well, I mean... For fuck's sake, one game. Well, it's not one game. It's the point that I think people are looking at this and saying we have now arrived at a moment where I you think didn't it have is- this after West Ham. No, but we I think We didn't have people- it after the game before. We didn't have it against Leicester. You know why I, th- you know I think we're having it? Candidly, two reasons. One, I think this performance was a real shock. And I'm saying people- go and have a look at it again. It's not that bad. Mm, right. That... You 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 questioned why I made the point of saying it wasn't that bad. It's because of this. It's because it's not a minor factor whether the the guys tried, whether there was an attempt at a performance, whether there was a suboptimal but still a plan. It matters. This is not a terrible game, a terrible performance. Go and have a look at it again. I think part of it, Paul. Part of it, I think, also is after this result. I think for the first time. Let's let's look. Maybe we were just fooling ourselves. As recently as before the West Ham game, I think there were people, us included, who thought even top four is still in the making, and top six could certainly happen, and finishing above Tottenham and all that stuff. And I think that's well, all me, starting to feel out of the frame now. Gonna, yeah, Clive, please come back. Mm-hmm. We just hey, look, we're just human beings, and the, and the result has knocked our confidence. Huge, simple yeah. as that. Mm-hmm. As fans, it's yeah. knocked our confidence in. We're rattled. Yeah, that's it. That's all we are. This is where you need to be calm. We need to be cool. You need to focus on the reaction, right? It's knocked our confidence because we were starting to believe. As soon as you start to believe, David Luiz takes over the Wolves guy in, in the box and, and suddenly think, hold on, we were just about to be where Chelsea are now because that's where we could be. We mm-hmm. didn't lose our brains in those games, you know, yeah. and, and that's where that's it. What's happened is this is us. This is, this is really revealing about us. As, as fans and, and as a group of podcasters, we were building up our confidence and we're now pivoting. Right? We're pivoting on the back of losing to the team that has been the best team in the yeah, world. They were world club, European Cup, Premier League champions by 25 points. They were that not long ago. They lost two centre backs and they fell over. That's all. And, they and what they needed to do, to do to overpower us in this game was just play classic Liverpool ball. They didn't need great centre-backs. They didn't even need to polish off a bunch of goals. They didn't need to beat a 7-0. They just needed to kick in with their midfield, with Fabinho, with uh, uh, Jorginho, with the lads, right? And the, I mean, we the front did give them one of their us. biggest... XG victories of the entire season and 
had the fewest chances of any team they played this season. Well, hang on. They they changed their formation at 62 minutes for a reason. They were getting nowhere. So I'm not saying this was a great performance or we deserve to win or whatever. I'm saying go back and look at it. We're not that bad. This is not the fucking catastrophe. This is not the canary in the the, the coal mine that shows what a terrible team we were all along and really we were shit all along. And now the truth is out. We need to set this game aside for a little while and come back and look at it again in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, look, we were three 0 down to West Ham in the game before. We we lost this one three. I I just think sometimes we hand wave the people that are justifiably upset about what they're seeing in a twelve loss season, as if to say those people are having hysterical overreactions while we sit tenth mm-hmm. on forty two points. And I am here to defend the people, even though I don't fully agree with them, who would say. I have a I right to be mad you, at sitting 10th. I have a right to be I, mad I agree at, with you, at 12 Ali. losses. I have a right have a to right. be mad. Well, it, it, I mean, again, I, but, you've but made how, it clear that there is excuse, no bar of performance How are they dominating this conversation if you don't agree with them, but they have a right? Well, they're not dominating. It's that I'm pushing but back against the idea that we are that we are fine because I don't think we're fine. I think Why that is, is their position central to this. Well, because I agree that there are problems. You disagree. I disagree. Well, we all agree there are problems. We all agree it's a process. We all agree it takes time. We all agree it's two steps forward, one step back. Some people think it's one step forward, two steps back. Time will tell. Put this result aside for a while. Come back to it. There are lessons to be learned. It's not an absolute travesty. Here's where I think it's a pivot point. I think that it's not for me. I'm saying why it's pivot point for me in my assessment of the season. I think it is in a moment where I had felt that I was watching a team start to move into consistently being able to produce performances that I consider closer to what we should be able to produce. In my view, this is a step back to what it was pre-Boxing Day, in my view. In other words, it comes back to your assessment of this performance, and that's why I think you need to go back and have another look at it. Okay, you have made that very clear, yes. Um, So, in my view, the performance is bad. In my view, there were decisions made during the performance that are questionable. And I think Mm -hmm. where it leaves us now at this stage of the season is to produce a big response in Europe or wind up at the end of the season potentially looking at a ninth or eighth or tenth place finish and no trophy and having to make heads or tails of what we do in that situation. And I think that is a really tricky place for a big club to be. And I can see both sides of that argument. And I realize you don't see both sides, but I do. And I'm torn between I don't them. see both sides. I don't see why at the end of this game, their position takes dominance. I, I get it, but... Jesus Christ, it's one game. Let's put it to one side. You know, you don't have to have an actual autopsy with the corpse when the body's still alive. Okay. I Yeah, I take your point. Clive? As I was saying, we just had our confidence knocked as a group, right? And then this is what happens. And this and this is where you need to be you need to be cool, right? And you need to focus on the reaction. And it's the, it's the reaction that worries me without key people not being available. Yep. That's what really worries me. Because the trend of losing to Aston Villa at home by three and losing to Liverpool at home by three, the way we lost those games were quite similar. We were just bettered by a better team. And so all that matters for this club, all that matters, it's almost Arteta agnostic, 
All that matters is how we react right now, which is not out to agnostic because he's got to pick the right shape and the right people and the right partnerships. But what we do in the summer, that's the club thing, which Arteta's involved in. If we don't get that right, we're going to be here in a year's time. And you think this is a dark one. This is not a dark spot compared to where we could be in a year's time if we get this wrong. We have to get this right. I absolutely have to get this rebuild right. And then so it's our ability to react in the, in the near term because we've got some decisions to make if we believe the injuries are what they are. And we have got some um, massive decisions in the medium term. And then we can start to look at individuals. And uh, back to Tim's point, if people have lost a bit of confidence and lost a bit of trust in the individuals we have because we've lost to Liverpool and maybe other things are feeding that as well, that is their right to feel that way. Absolutely. But it is just this game. And this is not a, this is not a Burnley Let's wake up to we were beaten fair and square. And I want to hear everyone tell me what we should have done. Well, we could have moved a couple of people around. Flipping hell. That was going to make a big difference, wasn't it? You know, we are talking, we were bettered on the day. We were bettered on the day. You have to accept it. That acceptance I've spoken about before. We are, I hate to say it, we, although I am a positive person, everything we've done this year says we're a mid-table cup team. That's who we are. Mm-hmm. Once you work that out, try to think about what we need to do to make us a top four league team. And stop pretending to yourself there's anything else but that. Yeah. And that, and don't tell me this player is great because he's not. Because we're a mid-table cup team. If you want to be a league team, then look at the player honestly and openly and work out his deficiencies. And let's, as a group, let's not try to work away from them to be good. A week ago, I'm telling you now, I'm thinking, I've said for about a year now, I want you right back. A week ago, after Karen Chambers performs West Ham, I was debating whether we should not bother with a right back. So I'm part of the same problem. One week later, he'd lost every tackle. We need a new right back. You know what I mean? It happens mm. to all of us because we're supporters, we're fans. And we, we, we don't like seeing people we like not being around. Do you see what I mean? But we have to wake up to who we actually are. I think that's right. And I would just say that I think our fear of changing things leads us to often believe that staying the course with a player, with a manager, with a, a, a structure, whatever it is, is the better option than change. You know, you, you you have used the phrase blow it up quite a lot, Clive. I don't think blow it up is ever a bad decision. <laughs> you know, like sport, sport changes so I, quickly. I stopped, I stopped using it because it's obvious now. We all know what's coming don't we in the summer if we're allowed to do it and that's all that matters otherwise we are we're we're, we're not going to be asked anymore if we don't get it right this time yeah we're, i mean think, think about we, it arson banger ripped the invincibles apart and some would say too soon we should have won the title in 0708 you know just two seasons later whatever three seasons later um things can change very quickly in sport and i think that a willingness to embrace that change and recognize that sport moves very quickly can be the way out of a bad situation more than bunkering in to you know something that isn't really working but you know time will tell i'll just finish with this with you tim real quick the one thing that is going to force change on us and clive has touched on this is the is the tyranny injury and i think it is an absolute paradigm shifter for us in terms of what we want to do on the pitch clive says back to the back three i could see the argument for that i think you could even make an argument for the four three three type system we saw at the end against west ham and maybe let the left back like a cedric sit in a bit more but go with Party, Smithrow, and Odegaard as the three. And then you have a more naturally attacking and ball progression formation, so you don't need your left back as much in there. But do you have a sense of how we could cope with Tierney's absence without 
you know, losing the momentum that we've been gaining post Boxing Day? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's pretty simple. I think put Saka um, at left back. Um, and then, like I said, there, there are plenty of players who can. We've we've got wide forwards coming out of our ears, so um, we you know we can replace him further forward um, without too many problems. You know, a lot of people have wanted Pepe given more chances. He can get more chances this way. Um, we could even see more of Willian. Uh, Wahoo! Um, as you know, we've seen Smith Rowe and Erdegaard in the team as well. So I, you know. And as for the fears around it diminishing Saka's end product, I don't share that at all because left back is a hugely important role in this team. Like no, like nobody thinks that Tierney should play up front because he's, he's putting some good crosses in, you know, like fullbacks important. It's 2021. It's a very productive um, position. And Saka got into double figures for assists last season. And most of those were from left back. So um, I would absolutely do that. Um, Tim, can and, I ask you a question on that? Um, yeah, sure. Like, do you mean play him as a left back, not a wing back? Yeah. Uh, and it relates to how much, if we're worried about the physical load he's been under, will this put him under a bigger physical load and therefore potentially expose him? Potentially, yes. But I, I think that's just kind of a risk you've got to take um, at this stage. Um, so uh, th- that is absolutely what I do in a back four. That's that's how he played last season. He wasn't um, really, he didn't really play um, that much actually when we went to the wing back system. Um, he, you know, he didn't play the cup final and the cup semi final and things like that. He he was doing it much more in a back four. That that could be a route to getting Martinelli in the team um, as well because those two had a had a really really good relationship when he was going down the left and kind of combining with Martinelli and those two have a really good relationship. Then you can sit a Bamiyang up front um, as well. Xhaka can just cover that left back spot like we were doing. So I think that would be the least disruptive way of handling it. Otherwise, as you suggest, Elliot, we've either got to change the formation or completely change what the left back does. And I'm I'm not massively comfortable with that, particularly when it looks like we're going to be without someone like David Luiz for a while. Um, and that's that's slightly destabilizing. Um, and therefore, my preference would be to try and keep things the same as much as possible. And for me, that means Saka at left back where he can still rack up assists. Mm. Um, no problem. Yeah, it's it's going to be a tough one to 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 solve, unfortunately. And I, I just cross our fingers. We somehow get lucky and he's available. I think, you know, it, it's like a relationship, right? If you've ever been in a relationship that's not going well and it's beset by fights and it, it looks like it's falling apart and then it gets back on some good ground. It finds some good footing. There's a, a vacation or whatever, whatever the case may be in it. You find some good footing. And then you have that big fight again, right when you were just starting to find that footing. And it mm-hmm. it makes you feel like you're just transported right back to that bad moment. And I, unfortunately, I think that this result and this performance have affected me to some extent and to some people, to a big extent, I think, of transporting people back to the way it felt before we got on this run. So what happens next, obviously crucial to either confirm that this is an anomaly or, you know, to say that maybe the, the progress was not quite as, as great as we thought. And I, I find myself unsure of which thing I feel most strongly about. I still think I lean in the direction of the progress, but I'm hopeful that that will continue. And Slavia progress. Can I say something earlier? Please. Just quickly. Cause I, I think it's a really good analogy, but there's another another dimension to relationships. If you continually keep yourself in a re, 
in a mode where you're reviewing whether you want to be in or out of a relationship. You're already out, yeah. <laughs> you're already out. And yep. the problem, my concern with the way things are, and it's not just an Arsenal problem or an Arteta problem, is if you have a, a referendum every few weekends about whether the manager stays or not, you're damaged. Like, it's just the way it is, right? I'm not going to talk people out of being people. It's just this this is no way to to run a a railway it's just hard 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 on uh, yet like if the team sucks great you know what to do if the team's great great you know what to do but most most clubs are bumping around in the middle trying to work out will it eventually trend up or trend down and i think we just got a cooler jets for a while like and I, I get you. And and I think the only distance that we have between each other, Paul, is I feel that sitting 10th through 30 games with 12 losses is, and again, not particularly my view, but an acceptable reason to say we are bad. I'm not, we're not sitting three points off fourth and fifth. We're sitting on 42 points through 30 games. So you see my point. And again, I know you disagree with that, 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 that it's too metrics based and it can't be that but it's I, so simplistic my god well sports like, sometimes is about the simple right it's about wins and losses it's about points and goals it's about you know it's you about can trophies. make it about the simple but it's not it's about people it's about where is this going it's about the future and and like the what you care about is what's going to happen next and the owner a good owner looks at this and says well what do i think is going to happen next and that's not an easy answer because you got two halves to this season, and now you got the United game, right? The second half of the season is longer than the first half so far, right? We'd 14 games before Chelsea, 16 since. It's been better since. And now we have the United game. And I say the performance is not as bad as we think it was, but Liverpool, yeah, it was bad. Yeah. Let's put yeah, let's put it to one side for a little while and see how the season progresses. Because there's going to be a lot to talk about. Well, as, as usual with an argument between us, I imagine that yeah. you will find yourself abused by the people who agreed with me and I will find myself abused by the people who agreed with you. Hopefully. And that will be uh, our day for the rest of the day. So I look forward <laughs> to that. And I think we should leave it there given that Dr. Raj is still coming up to tell us how bad it's going to be with Tierney and Louise. So uh, we go from strength to strength, as they say. Paul, my dear friend, is on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Thanks, Pause. <laughs> that was fun. Woohoo! Yeah, always. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Dr. Raj after this. Stay with us. Now it is my great pleasure to reintroduce Dr. Raj Paul Brar. Uh, I am not going to provide his CV because we did that the last time and I have him for a very limited time and I want to make the best use of it, which includes me asking long-winded questions that he waits to form a question, which it will never do, <laughs> inevitably. You can follow him on Twitter <clears throat> at 3CBPerformance. That's the number 3CBPerformance. Uh, the less said about the number 3CB formation, the better, but that's uh, not neither here nor there. Dr. Raj, great to have you back on the pod. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Sad to be here, though, for the reason we're about to discuss. Yeah, usually if you're on the podcast, you can assume that things have gone terribly. So, uh, Dr. Yes. Doom, we're going to start calling you really just two topics to cover, and I want to put the 
the caveat firmly in place that when we talk to you about this stuff, you're basing it on video evidence. You know, you haven't directly uh, interacted with the player physically. So, you know, obviously that that limits to some extent the analysis you can do, but it tends to be pretty spot on. So let's talk here in Tierney. I got a couple quick questions. The first one is just based on the video evidence and information coming out uh, after the game. What's your initial prognosis for that injury? When I first saw it, there were so there were some positive and negative indicators, and I have a video out on this as well. His foot, when he got hit, you can see that his knee kind of buckles outwards. His foot wasn't completely planted, so I thought, okay, maybe it's not that serious. He was able to play on for, I think, three minutes. But then the concern to me was when he – I saw a video when he walked off the pitch – that knee shifted outwards. You could see him stop and almost like grab it. And that can indicate some instability in the knee, which may indicate a higher severity injury. And so hard to say what that higher severity is, but that at this point for me is an expectation. It's not going to just be some low level, you know, week long process. I think there is unfortunately some ligamentous damage that they're going to have to deal with. Mm. And when you say that, I mean, are you talking about the sort of stretched could be out a few weeks type damage or the needs repair we could be seeing him in October, November type damage? I, I doubt. I mean, I doubt it's a need to repair because that would be like a, that would mean a significant injury. I didn't quite see that. But again, like, like you said, with the caveat, I haven't mm-hmm. examined it. That would surprise me. But I, I would think some moderate level injury. The good news here is with that mechanism, typically it's not like an ACL injury, which mm-hmm. is you know the most significant uh, ligament injury. Typically, something on the outer lateral side. There was some rotation, what we call hyperextension, where the knee is straightened, which can lead to some other structures. But there's a lot of anatomy in that part of the knee. And, and that's why it's kind of really hard to discern what's going on. Even in that video I, I, I had, I kind of just went through the, the different kind of possibilities. But mm. based on the most concerning aspect was when he walked off and seeing some of that instability. That's what made me expect something higher than just like a grade one out couple weeks injury. Yeah, well, it's it's one of the worst injuries we could suffer. I think it's fair to say. Uh, do you? Mm-hmm. I, you've sort of. I, I want to say ruled out. Obviously, with all the caveats in place, the, the ACL, which is dreaded, but another one that we know can be a real problem is meniscus. Is is that the kind of injury that comes into play with with a stretching like that, or not as much? Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you have a jarring impact to the knee when it's somewhat planted, there's concern for meniscal damage. In the knee, it all, it all just comes down to. In this case, it's going to come down to the extent of it. There's definitely something going on. You could, you could see, you know, Tierney was talking to the physio when he talks pretty sternly like that. You know, something's up, mm. and so, and he was frustrated. Of course, he's a competitor, but I would. It just depends on the extent of the damage at that at this point. Fair to say, those are the two potential nightmare scenarios is is a meniscus that needs to be repaired or an acl i mean are, th- are those the nightmare scenarios in terms of i would say uh, the real nightmare is acl now, you mm-hmm. can't rule that out but a meniscus injury that needs to be repaired the player would be out if he's even eligible for a repair so all meniscus injuries aren't eligible for repair it depends on where the damage occurred mm-hmm. on the meniscus due to different issues with blood supply to different areas of the meniscus. But the real nightmare here would be the ACL, because we've seen 
eight, nine months out, as we've seen with Bellerin, as you've seen with Holding, there's a real, at Chambers to some extent, there's a real reacclimation process that comes into play. Mm. Of course, with Tierney, you know, he is a key, key to the engine. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, really scary. Okay, well, um, let me ask you a question related to the injury that I think has come up in the debate following this. He played three times for Scotland, and mm-hmm. he did look a little bit sluggish, I thought, in this game, although the whole team did. I was listening to the Arscast, and they suggested that maybe the team had some Cabernet Sauvignon before the game, which would explain <laughs> a lot, uh, and sounds quite delightful, to be fair. But, I mean, is this, to me, to the uninitiated, I would say, impact injury, not fatigue-related, but Clive sort of straightened me out on our, our Patreon pod, our Instant Reaction pod, saying, hey, you know what? Fatigue can be the reason you're not snapping into challenges or bursting out of the challenges and you're arriving late. I mean, do you, from a medical standpoint, I mean, that's the footballing standpoint, that the the fatigue can can lead you to not time things right so that you're more exposed to those those challenges as opposed to bursting away from them or, or um, avoiding them. Do you have any sense from sort of a more medical uh, anatomy standpoint of, of how fatigue could play into the injury occurring in the first place or the severity of it? Yeah, well, firstly, Clive straightening you out. What a surprise. Yeah, uh, it has secondly, to be done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be done. I mean, from, from, from a fatigue perspective, absolutely. And what he says is very, very true. If I'm a split second late to react because I'm tired, that then leads to higher risk where maybe my, my knee, my leg is left in on a challenge that wouldn't, if I was tired, you know, been in that place in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. So very, very true. And then also from a physical perspective, when you are fatigued, it does affect certain systems that do help reduce injury risk. For example, when you're tired, you tend to have less balance. When you're tired, it tends to affect the system known as the neuromuscular system, which is a connection between the muscles and the brain. So when you're in a certain position, the brain senses that and it fires certain activating muscles to help keep you in a safe position. And so mm-hmm. fatigue can certainly affect all of those things. Yeah, that's that's important. And actually, you, you touch on the connection between the brain and muscles. The tongue is a muscle, right? Yep. So technically, I could say that it's the fatigue of having a, a young child that causes my brain to tell my tongue to say the ridiculous things that it does and not, not just actually bad ideas. So that's good. Um, Absolutely. Okay, well, unless you have anything more on Tierney, I, I'd like to pivot to David Louise if we can. Absolutely. So there's not a lot of information out there, just sort of conjecture and some fear that he may have played his last game this season. I guess I will make this one more open-ended. Do you do you have any insight or theories on what's going on with Louise and what we should probably expect in terms of the outcome? And, and just as a follow-up to that, obviously the club is considering giving him a contract. He is over 30, so we may be obligated to give him a contract, I think is how that works. But, mm-hmm. you know, whether this particular type of injury would be the kind of thing that would give a, a normal club pause uh, when considering the contract. This one, this one's so vague. The only even, like, medical term I've seen on it was from James Bengay, who said that um, there's cartilage issue. I'm going to run that possibly. through the translator, by the way, and say James Benj. <laughs> ben, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Uh, it's James Benjamin. Wondering who that is. And so um, he said that uh, there's a cartilage issue potentially in the knee. And so maybe this means what kind of what the timeline they gave up. They gave about you know upcoming weeks. Again, very very vague. Maybe there was some meniscus damage that they had to trim out. You know, in, in this case. 
that would be my own honestly my only only guess and maybe even that might align with the fact that they weren't exactly sure what the treatment options were because sometimes when you have a little bit of meniscus damage you can try to wait and see what happens if that pain and, and dysfunction go away and so that will line up with what the team was doing early on when they were kind of unsure and, and then they decided on a surgical procedure that upcoming weeks aspect again doesn't tell us much it just says weeks so we don't really know typically with the partial meniscectomy it can be a, it can be a four-week process and so we will see i think seeing how quickly he returns to training of course will give us a better indicator of severity of what's of what's going on so that's definitely tbd mm. in um, terms of yeah, sorry, the player mm-hmm. renew- what was that no go ahead sorry i was going to interrupt but i figure you know i've done it enough throughout this pod already why why, why carry on yeah fair enough i was going to say in terms of going from a new contract for my, I mean, he has a pretty good injury history. And so in this case, if you're signing him to a short-term deal and the injury isn't you know, significant, and I don't think it is just based on the fact that he hasn't been ruled out for the season, I don't really see the injury as all too concerning. Okay. I've got just a couple more minutes with you, which gives me a chance to just quickly ask about Smith Rowe. You mm-hmm. know, it, you never want to label a player injury prone because injury prone, I think is is a sort of ambiguous term. Does it just mean they happen to have had bad luck with injuries? Is there something about their, you know, anatomy that causes them to pick up more injuries? I mean, there's, there's a lot of speculation about this stuff and, it, and it's kind of hard to know, but there has been sort of discussion of a hip injury with him. And that is the kind of thing that in my limited experience, sort of just being aware of injuries in sports, that's a part of the body that can, wreck careers um the most famous example being bo jackson but that was uh an, a specific hip injury that was degenerative mm-hmm. and unique but as far as so i don't know why i referenced it but, but when it comes to smith row um do you have any thoughts on on his injury track record and and maybe specifically as it relates to the the hip injury that's been talked about yeah sure well firstly thanks for panicking everyone with the bo jackson reference like the worst injury in history and i bring it up i don't know why (laughs) i did literally like one of the most devastating unfortunate injuries ever ever yeah yeah. he had something called avascular necrosis where he didn't have blood flow to the head of his of the hip which then kind of messed up the whole bone but completely different Mm -hmm. topic and so with uh smith Rowe, what i see is a player and it's to me it's pretty common when you have a player who's still developing physically still developing mentally who, who then gets introduced into the first team quite quickly, I expect to see some of these muscular issues. So even with Saka, to, to a lesser extent, I always expect to kind of see that up and down with injuries because the player has to really acclimate to these rigors of the game. And ESR is playing also in some high-intensity matches as well. When it comes to the hip issue, this sounds like a hip flexor issue, which is quite, quite common in football mm. because first it was described as the hip and then as it was described, described, excuse me, as a quadriceps. And so a hip, there's a hip flexor muscle, which is also a quadricep, which does both. So that would, for me, lines up as, as that hip flexor, which is the rectus femoris muscle, which is quite prevalent in football. So, you know, these little muscular niggles for ESR, obviously not ideal, but as he continues to develop and, and acclimate, to me, that's part of the process. 
Mm. Well, I mean, that that's about as encouraging as it gets. I think, thankfully, we don't really have any other injuries that we have to cover. I mean, I could ask you how sick is Granite Shaka, but I think that's a different type of medical practice. So uh, yes. fair to say we've covered it? Absolutely. All right. Well, Dr. Raj, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, even if it's not uh, topics that we necessarily want to be discussing. You can follow uh, Dr. Raj Paul Brar at 3CB Performance, the number 3CB Performance on Twitter. And you should also check out his YouTube where he does videos that explain all this stuff so you don't have to listen to this podcast. Thank you, Dr. Raj. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, that'll do it. We will have a Premier League Roundup podcast for patrons, which is fun because we can actually dive into the good stuff in football, which is uh, Spurs... Uh, failing to beat Newcastle and and Chelsea losing to uh, West Brom and all the other good stuff. So hopefully you'll join us for that or not, because either way, uh, we will have a live stream Thursday to get you excited for the big game against Slavia Prague, which is the reason we threw the game against Liverpool, as well as an instant reaction pod Thursday evening, as well as a full pod Friday. So lots to come. Hope you're doing well. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Slavia Prague. No. (laughs) 